0: Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. The Bible that I hold in my hand is a gift to each and every one of us so that we may understand who God is really is and whether you have a printed version on paper bounded by leather or you have it in digital form on your Bible these are truths that you can actually build your life on and today we have an incredible access to multiple translation in our English language but that was not always so that was not always the story in fact Wars broke out, preventing people from having a copy of the Bible in their own language. Let me share with you just a brief part of that history. John Wycliffe, an Oxford professor, scholar, theologian, was the first one to handwrite an English manuscript of the Bible in 1380. And the leaders in the church were so infuriated by his translation of the Bible into English that 44 years after he died they dug up his body, they crushed his bones, they burnt them, and then threw them in the river so nobody would ever remember who John Wycliffe was. Then came John Huss, who had the same burning passion as John Wycliffe to get the Bible into the hands of the people. He actively promoted Wycliffe's ideas. He would say the people should be permitted to read the Bible in their own language. Huss was later burned at the stake in 1415 using John Wycliffe's handwritten manuscripts as kindling to set the fire. The last words of John Huss were this, were these. In 100 years, God will raise up a man whose call for reform cannot be suppressed. William Tyndale holds the distinction of being the first one to ever print the New Testament in the English language. Tyndale, a a true scholar, a genius, so fluent in eight languages, languages that it was said one would think each one of them was his native tongue. And William Tyndale fought and died for the right to print the Bible into the common, spoken, modern English of the people of his day. He's quoted as saying, if God spare my life, I will see to it that the boy who drives the plowshare knows more than the scriptures than you, sir. He was speaking to an official who was criticizing his work. And the more that kings and bishops resisted the distribution of the Bible and the language of the people, the more fascinated the public at large became. I mean, one was at risk of burning at the stake just for possessing an English Bible. Then a man was born named Martin Luther who we know began the Protestant Reformation almost exactly 100 years after John Hass was burned at the stake and said, God will raise up another man. In 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses of contention to the front door of the Wittenberg Church. That was 502 years ago this past week. Martin Luther would go on to translate the New Testament into German in 1522. Now, really what changed everything, of course, was the invention of what many believed to be the most important invention of all of history, the invention of the movable-type printing press. And Johann Gutenberg, inventing the printing press in 1540, and the first book to ever be printed was the Bible. The invention of the printing press meant that Bibles and and books could finally effectively be produced in large quantities in such a short amount of time. This was essential in the success of the Reformation and, and people having God's word in their own language. You can read throughout history kings and queens who opposed that and those who helped play a role in the Bible being distributed. You've heard of the king... Uh, King Henry VIII, who first opposed that people would have a copy of God's Word in their own language. He later, later changed his mind, not because he had a desire, by the way, for people to have the Bible, but for other sinister reasons. And then he had a daughter named Queen Mary, who many know is, is Bloody Mary, who would kill people at the stake for having a copy of God's Word in English. Then Queen Mary's sister came to the throne, Elizabeth I, who gave freedom to people to own a Bible in English. Then a king was born by the name of King James, who funded the translation of the King James Version in 1611. You know, during those early years, having a Bible in English was, was so valuable that Bibles were actually chained to the pulpit so nobody would steal them. And here we are today. Because men and women gave their life so that we may have a copy of God's Word to use in our own language. Well, good morning, everyone. It really is good to see you. Thanks again for uh, sharing part of your weekend uh, with us. I, I trust you are like alive because you got an extra hour of sleep. There's something about coming with a smile on your face with that extra hour, so we're glad that you made it. Pastor James happened to mention about this uh, insert in the bulletin about our, our values and our and the main thing. And one of the things I wanted to highlight is a generosity. I said this when we were going through the values. That's one of the things that really describe this church. Very, very generous. And um, we were talking about the hampers that are going to coming up. And I think Ashley James was over 100. I think it was 173 families that we were able to provide Christmas for, which was pretty amazing. And uh, uh, the last couple of weeks we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds actually of boxes uh, out in the foyer. Those who took a, a shoebox to make a difference in a child's life. And this Sunday and next Sunday we're going to be collecting those already. A number of them have come in. So I just want to say thank you so much for, um, actually it's a great opportunity to teach your kids about giving and, and having eyes for the world and how we can help. And so, so thank you and uh, for those who took all those shoeboxes and again just they're, they're collecting them today all this week and then next Sunday will be the last Last of that. Well, I want to share with you something that millions, and I do mean millions of people, love to do. Literally millions of people do it every day. In fact, I'm going to say there's probably a few hundred here that do it uh, every day, and that is to read a book. Um, Now, when I was a teenager, and I'd go to someone's house, and they had bookcases and shelves that were filled with books, I thought two things, either they're super smart, or they have no social life, That's what I thought. Which I later realized neither one could be necessarily true. But if there's something about going into, um, into a bookstore, I, I, I do love it. I, I love to read the titles of books, I, uh, sp- new books. I, I love the smell of a book. Whew. I've never really got into the digital forms on, on, online yet to read a book online because I just love I, the feel it in my hands. And, and be able to highlight and, and underline it. And, and I love those books that are epics. You know, uh, the classics, the, the Tale of Two City, The Last of the Mohegans, uh, the kind of books that, you know, later become blockbuster uh, movies like Lord of the Rings, you know, Jurassic Park, Forrest Gump, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, the, the Parent Trap, The Princess Bride. It's a Wonderful Life. They were all books, actually, before they be, ever became a movie. And I love to read those books and travel along with. With the heroes of the book, I'm currently reading, I meant to bring it up, uh, Bear Grill. I don't know if you know who that is, but he had the TV show, Man vs. the Wild. 1.4 billion people used to watch that show every week. And he has uh, a leadership book about blood, sweat, and tears, and, and it's about leadership. And, and I'm really enjoying the book very, very much. I, I love reading the trials that, he, that he's gone through and, and to be able to laugh and to be able to cry with them. And really good books, which this is the one that I have, have prologues and epilogues. Prologue, you know, gives a little bit of the history at first before you jump into the book. An epilogue kind of tells you a little bit of the happy, after, happy ever after part. You know, after the book is over, they kind of give you a glimpse a little bit into the future. Now, some of you, I know you don't read books. So you're going, epilogue, what, prologue, what's that all about? But because you are connoisseurs of television, I want to be able to relate that to you as well. So here's what a prologue is. A prologue is when an announcer says, previously, on the young and the restless, (laughs) that would be considered a prologue, right? Letting you know what has just happened. Um, An epilogue is when they say, tune in tomorrow as the world turns to find if Johnny actually does marry Susan. That's a prologue. Or join us tomorrow in the next week's episode in The Amazing Race to see if Colin and Dirk as they head out for the the pit stop. There are glimpses of next week's show. And books, my goodness. There's all kinds. There's educational. uh, There are mystery books. There's financial books. There's Fictional books, biographical, historical, scientific, religious, cookbooks, handyman books, a DIY uh, books, softcover, hardcover, glamour books, su- uh, survival books, travel books. There's all kinds of them. It's endless, the amount of different kinds of books that there are. But one of the things I've discovered, if you go to a bookstore, like a large bookstore especially, you'll discover there are shelves of books that do their very best to discredit this one particular book accusations will will fly that say well actually the bible it's 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 unreliable Right? It's not credible. It's, uh, it's not accurate. It's untrustworthy. It's make-believe. It's exaggerated. It's a fantasy world. It's, it's a myth. It's superstitious. It's filled with all kinds of contradiction. Ah, oh, science has proven that the Bible's actually wrong. I mean, the accusations that fly are actually mind-boggling. And some of these accusations are made by world standards, some very well-educated you know, people. And then there's people that make those accusations who actually have never read the Bible, never picked it up from themselves. And they make all these accusations. About 10 or 15 years ago, I remember there was a phenomena that had kind of hit, especially here in North America, and, and there was a book that was written called The Da Vinci Code. Anybody remember that? I mean, that just went everywhere. It was like a, a red-hot page a burner of a book. It was a runaway bestseller. It was a mystery th- uh, thriller. Now, normally I don't really get in, honestly. I, I'm just not into a lot of fictional reading. Some people love it. I, but this particular fictional book that was written had these outlandish claims. It wasn't just another book uh, attacking the the church, but it was actually influencing millions and millions of people. Uh, And the book was causing people to ask all kinds of questions. By the way, they were important questions too. Asking questions like, well, who is Jesus? And and questions like, well, where did the Bible come from? And, And the book actually began to attack some of the fundamental beliefs that we had. It actually made the claims that everything that we've ever been taught about Jesus is actually a lie. It was a season where everybody was talking about. It. I can remember actually. I was in Enfield, Nova Scotia. I was at the Big Stop, uh, having um, fish and chips with my mom, and there was a couple right behind me in the booth. Right behind me, a man and wife, two uh, two couples, and one one of the wives said to the other wife, "I just finished reading the Da Vinci Code. I can still remember this conversation. Really was a good. Oh my goodness! She said it was so good. I learned all kinds of stuff. Oh, what would you learn? She said, "I never knew. I never knew Jesus was married." The other lady went, what? Married? I never heard. Jesus was married? Yes. And you know what else? What? He had children. The other lady said he did? She said, you got to read the book. It's amazing. And as I, as I heard this conversation, I was like, oh my goodness everybody's talking about this book. So I said to myself, I'm going to go buy a book. I'm going to go read this book. I want to know what everybody's talking about. So I remember I went to Costco. They had piles of them. And I went there and I had one in my hand. I went to the cash. I'm like, I am not giving Dan Brown $12 of my money, and I put it back, and then I was so intrigued. I said, well, I'll just read a little bit of it. So I stood there at the table, and I read a couple pages, and I remember like, that's blasphemous, I put it down, and I left. And I'm at the card, going to the cash, and I'm like, you go back and you get that book. And so once again, I went back, I got the book, because I want to find out what people are actually talking about, because the book was influencing so many people. In fact, there were 60 million copies made of it, translated in 44 languages. It was a phenomena, and a survey was done, actually, of Canadians who had read the book. One-third of the Canadians uh, said that they believed what that, what that book was saying, that it was true. Uh, 50%, 53% of the people that read the book said, actually, it really helped me in my spiritual journey, which I want to say, well, actually, read the real book, and you'll really see the difference in your spiritual journey, <laughs> Right? But the effects that that book happened to have on pop culture was absolutely amazing. And so I thought what we would do today is spend some time answering some of those questions that people actually have so we can be prepared to dialogue. And, and one of my fear is that this, you know, our, our time together will be academic. I don't want it to be academic. I want it so that you can walk away having absolute confidence that this is God's word without mistakes, that it's accurate, and it's for today, and that you can actually build your life on it. So I wanted to be walk away transformed by knowing I can be confident to interact with people about the Bible. In 1st Peter chapter 3 verse 15, it says, "But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now, I know you'll meet people all the time who who forget that last part, gentleness and respect, right? They're very aggressive. But it's interesting what it says here with gentleness and respect. So when people ask us questions, instead of us uh, feeling like we're being attacked, let's look at it as an opportunity that we can talk about what the Bible says. See, maybe what was intended for evil God could actually use for good. Because everywhere you go, people are always talking and asking very important life questions all the time. And so you don't need to be silent on on this issue. I, I like what one black preacher said down south. He says, you have the right to remain silent, but you better not. I mean, you can actually dialogue intelligently with people about the Bible. In fact, it is our obligation as Christ followers to be ready to be prepared when, when someone asks you a question about your faith and i know sometimes it feels like we're we're uh, we're you know,